Good morning. Today's reading of scripture comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in your place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to hazard a guess. Here's my guess. Not many of you spent much time thinking about the devil last week. Yeah, I can tell from the giggles. Most of you didn't, right? You were thinking about class schedules. You were thinking about work deadlines. You were thinking about a whole lot of things, but you probably weren't thinking about the devil. Well, I was. But the reason I was is because I'm getting ready to preach from this text. Otherwise, I spend my week hardly ever thinking about the devil. Go figure. Most of us don't. In this passage, Paul makes some shall we say, extreme statements, extreme images he uses about being in Christ and walking with Christ, and it relates to the devil. As a matter of fact, a lot of people think he was just using shrill language and shouldn't have gone so far. Some people think it's antiquated language. We're beyond that stuff now. Most of you don't think we're beyond it, but your experience seems to indicate that Satan isn't an ever-present reality. Now, if you were a missionary in some countries where witchcraft is abundant and animism is everywhere, you might have a different view on this passage of Scripture. But our understanding of Satan is not as bold because it's more subtle. As a matter of fact, some people, biblical scholars, actually interpret this passage and they suggest that Paul wasn't talking about the supernatural reality that we call demons and devil. He was actually talking about when he said principalities and powers, he was talking about the rulers of this world, which is in there. He was talking about Rome and the oppression that the church faced. 
but he wasn't talking about demons. So I'll give you my perspective right up front. I think they're wrong. I think he actually was talking about spiritual forces in high places. And I don't think his language is too extreme. Some of you um, are good with imagination, so I'm going to ask you to imagine something for a moment. Maybe you don't want to imagine yourself this way, but pretend just for a moment that you are a sinister enemy and you're doing your best to attack a people group, nation, tribe, whatever. And because you're so sinister, you know that you can use to your advantage two things. One, you could use to your advantage people who believe you are always present, like around every corner, under every bed, so that people live in such fear they can't even hardly function because they're just scared out of their mind that you're there. You might actually use that to your advantage. Or perhaps you might use something else to your advantage, a disbelief that you actually exist, a disbelief that your presence is not powerful and pervasive. Either one of those extremes could be a perfect way for you to establish your bulwark. It could be a perfect way for you to do your work because you're sinister and you know how to be sneaky. Sometimes people uh, give me that annoyed or humorous look when I frequently quote C.S. Lewis. So whether this quote is going to annoy you or humor you, I'm giving you a fair warning. I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis again. Um, I'm actually going to use a quote I've used many times. And I want to acknowledge something, that whenever you uh, encounter a great piece of literature or poetry or something like that, you use it over and over again, right? Of course you do. (laughs) You use phrases over and over again. So, I'm not apologizing, but I'm telling you, I'm using this over and over again. And here's what C.S. Lewis says in his famous book, Screwtape Letters, a fictitious account, though maybe not fictitious, of a senior devil instructing a junior devil about how to get to the people who are Christ followers, how to get them off track, how to take their souls. In the preface of the book, C.S. Lewis says something that is, I think, compelling. He says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, namely humanity, fall. One of two equal and opposite errors. One is to disbelieve their existence, demons, Satan. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the demons, are equally pleased with both errors. 
Isn't that an interesting insight? An unhealthy interest so that all you're thinking about is the demonic. A disbelief you discount it out of hand. Either one, Satan loves it. Here's the thing about Paul. In my opinion, he's guilty of neither. If you read the epistles of Paul, you don't hear him talking about the devil all the time. He doesn't have an excessive interest in it. He's not talking about exorcisms all the time. He's not talking about demons under the bed all the time. On the other hand, he will not ignore it. And he doesn't disbelieve the existence of Satan. He does believe it. And with very straightforward language, he in effect says, you better too, and you better take it seriously. How does he counsel us to take it seriously? He uses an image, an image of battle. And for them, the image would be a Roman soldier. And here's what the image looks like. To begin with, before he really addresses the armor itself, he basically tells us what our power source is. If you've got a vehicle, you've got some sort of power source. If you've got a house, you've got some sort of power source for your light. Paul says the power source is to be in Christ. Why do I say that and pull that out of this passage? Because he says it over and over and over again. Matter of fact, it's his favorite prepositional phrase, in Christ. Let me give you a flurry of verses. We have comfort in Christ, Paul says, Philippians 2.1. We are bold in Christ, Philemon 8. We have liberty in Christ, Galatians 2.4. We have truth in Christ, Romans 9.1. We have promise in Christ, Ephesians 3.6. The promises of God are confirmed and guaranteed in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1.20. We are sanctified in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.2. We are wise in Christ. 1 Corinthians 4.10. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we walk by faith in Christ. Colossians 2.6. Just a sampling of that prepositional phrase in Christ. So Paul reminds us that our power comes from being in Christ. Not from our own resources, not even from armament, but being in Christ. Second, Paul says that the full armor of God is necessary. Now imagine a Roman soldier going into battle he would be foolish if he didn't go in with full armor. He always wore the full armor. You didn't skimp on your armor. That's the way you survived. That's the way you did battle. Put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God is for who? Soldiers of Christ. Who are the soldiers of Christ? They're young, immature believers, and they're older, mature believers. And for both, you must have the armor of God, the full armor of God. So put it on. It's a mandate. Battle's coming. Put on the armor. Third, not only is the full armor of God necessary, the enemy is cunning. 
I like the old phrase in the King James that says, stand against the wiles of the devil. Sometimes I just like the old words, wiles of the devil. It's cunningness, it's deceitfulness. It's the kind of thing that trips you up, that you don't recognize as evil because it looks so good. Beware of the wiles, the cunning of the devil. On one occasion, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I want to give you an admonition. I want to give you a stark warning. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He didn't say you're going to be weak and you're going to fall. He said Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He's got a target on your back. And he said this just before Peter denied him. And then he said, following the words, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you. And then he went on and said, and after you fall, I'll restore you and you will encourage the brothers in Christ. In other words, Peter was about ready to crash and burn and Jesus knew it. And in spite of the knowledge concerning his denial, Jesus said, I want to tell you, Satan is after you. That's what this is all about. But I prayed for you. Speaking of cunning, by the way, it wasn't a Roman soldier who put the sword to Peter's throat and said, claim Jesus or deny him. It was much more cunning than that. It was a young girl that nobody knows. As far as we know, she might have been a slave girl who said, while warming herself at the fire, hey, I know you. That was Peter's downfall. That was Peter's moment when Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. Perhaps that's why Paul says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. That's just chilling. What's even more chilling is the reality that sometimes the very thing that seems so innocent and so good is the sinister reality of evil right in front of you. Did you ever notice how it all starts out in the book of Genesis? It's the serpent. It's the deceiver. It's the one we can't imagine now who was the most beautiful creature in the garden. It's that, says Jesus. That Satan uses you to sift you like wheat because, as Paul says, he's cunning. Then Paul says, preparation is critical. In other words, let's put it this way. It's going to happen. The battle's coming even if you don't think it's coming. Even if there's a calm in the storm. Even if you can't believe God would put you through that kind of test. Don't deceive yourself. It's coming. The battle's coming. So, it's time right now when the battle's not in front of you to prepare for the battle. That's what soldiers always do. That's why you have boot camp. That's why you go through all these things over and over and over again. Ad nausea, ad infinitum, you go through the drills. 
because someday you're going to need them. I remember reading an account of a World War II soldier who described one of the most important things in his life as a soldier. He said, they taught us our rifle. He said, that rifle just became a part of our body. He said, we knew that rifle so well. We could take it apart and put it back together and load it with our eyes closed. Paul says, prepare for battle. It's coming. Don't fool yourself. Preparation is critical. And truth, says Paul, is essential in this fight. Or as the Gospel of John says, quoting Jesus, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is the truth? We need a month to discover it, uncover it, talk about it. Let me just give you three things that are true. Three things that are true concerning the gospel. The first truth, number one truth, we're all sinners and we need a Savior. We're not all just pretty good people and we need to get better. We're not all people who want to do the right thing and we just need Jesus to infuse us with a little bit more self-will to do the right thing. No, I don't know how many times I have said this. We are lost. We're dead. And we got no life apart from Jesus. None. We need to be redeemed. We can't redeem ourselves. We're the problem. A great mentor who loves us and is far ahead of us in our spiritual journey, he or she cannot redeem us. They can help us. They can't redeem us. Only the sinless Son of God who died for our sins can redeem us. There is no other power that can redeem. It's got to come from the outside. Truth number one, we're sinners and we need rescue. We can't ever forget it. No matter how long we've been in our faith, we must go back to that. Truth number two, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, I know the way? I know the truth? I can point you to the light? He made a ridiculously audacious claim that was at the heart of who he was. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Another thing that sometimes slides right past us when we hear that phrase, and we forget what a Trinitarian statement that is. 
You see, few people would deny that the source of truth is God, that light comes from God. Even people who are not Christians and, and even people who are not part of any kind of religious organization, they would say things like that about God. So when Jesus steps into that understanding of God concerning light and the way and truth, he steps into it and he makes a declaration. He makes a declaration that says, I am God. That's what he's saying. You can find great truths all kinds of places. You can find wonderful people, teachers who will lead you to the truth. But if any of those teachers ever claim to be the truth, run the opposite direction. They won't. Nobody's so stupid. Not even Socrates or Plato did that. Some might. If they do, run. That's what's unique about Jesus' statement. He doesn't say, I'll help you find it. He says, I am it. Third truth, we must live in the truth in order to be free. We got to breathe it. We got to swim in it. We've got to walk in it. We've got to be in that truth in order to be free. Just three important truths. The truth is essential. He calls it the belt of truth. Then he says righteousness is indispensable. I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I don't know where your mind goes, but even though I know better, the first place my mind goes when I think of righteousness is whether or not I'm righteous enough. Oh, Paul's calling me to be more holy and be more righteous. And that's a good thing. But that's not really what he's saying. He said, I want you to put on this breastplate of righteousness. You know, what you put on is not you. The armor's not you. Righteousness is not you. I want to be clothed, says Paul, in another place with the righteousness of Christ. That's my righteousness. It's not me. I put it on because it's the righteousness of Christ. Another thing Paul says is that he wants us to fit our feet with the gospel, the gospel of peace. Every soldier had to have something on his feet. Put on your feet the gospel of peace. Be ready on every occasion, Peter says, to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Be always ready to have traveling shoes. The gospel of peace. Peace. Can you think of anything that our world needs more 
our lungs form more deeply and peace. There it is. Put the gospel of peace on your feet and take it everywhere you go. Paul also says concerning this armor, he wants you to put on the shield of faith. Shield of faith is, uh, is indestructible. It extinguishes the fiery darts of the wicked. So a Roman soldier would have a shield. And we probably think about it as some sort of round shield, you know, like Captain America or something on the cartoons. No, wasn't that. It was a full body shield. As a matter of fact, strategic tactical warfare in Rome. You went as a unit and you would basically lock with the other shield this side and that side and you would advance ahead. Paul says, take the shield of faith. And you know what else they do with the shield? It was some form of metal, but on the outside it was was leather. They would soak the leather in water so that the fiery darts of the archmen would not damage them. The darts would be extinguished and swallowed up by a watery leather substance. Put on the shield of faith. So let me remind you of something I know you know. Your why God, dot, 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 fill in the blank question. Why God will not always have an answer. You won't always get the reply you want. What faith is? Faith is what stands in the gap. It stands in the gap between our obedience and the future promises of God. And those promises are not just here and now. They're in the future. They're in eternity. So there's few things more important than faith. It's got to be the thing that's the most easily eroded. You want to give up on it because it doesn't seem right. You want to say, I've been believing all this time, but it doesn't seem like it's real. Whatever you do, don't give up the faith. Walk without sight if you have to, but don't give up the faith. Be foolish in your expression of your faith in God from time to time, but don't give up the faith. Hang on to it. It's the only thing that keeps you secure. As soon as you walk away from the faith, you've lost it all. Paul says there's an attack on for your faith. So take that shield of faith and use it 
to extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked. I can promise you that for some of you this year, the launched arrows are going to seem so hot and so powerful. You're going to want to give up the faith and turn to something else. Don't do it. You don't have to understand everything. You just got to believe God and his promises. Then Paul says, I want you also to put on the, the helmet of salvation. I love this because I'm a mind guy. You know what I mean? I like stuff like that. I also like it because when you think of the image, the, the mind is the most important organ you got. The thing tells the rest of your body what to do. It's the thing that makes you fully human. Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Cover up your head with the truth of God. He could have referred to another passage that he wrote in Romans 1 through 2, 12, 1 through 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let, don't let your mind be inactive. Don't just say, got it, and move on. Let it be transformed. Renew your mind in the truth constantly. Look at everything in your world and say, wait just a minute. What is the truth concerning that issue in this circumstance according to the word of God? Let your mind be renewed so you see things from a different vantage point. Let's put it this way, shall we? We ought to be some of the weirdest people on earth. We ought to look at the same reality that everybody looks at and see something different in it. Because we should be renewed by our minds continually so that we can be transformed by that truth. Don't... In your spirituality, don't just gravitate towards the emotional. It disappears so fast. Don't just chase after the high. Be transformed in your mind by the truth. And it takes work, but it's worth it. Finally, I should say almost finally, Paul concludes by saying, I want you to take um, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's interesting how he couples those two together. The Word of God is powerful and sharp like a two-edged sword, as the book of Hebrews says. But I want, to take, want you to take the sword, which is the Word of God and is the power of the Spirit. And I want you to use it the way it was meant to be used. Not by the strength of your own might, but by the power of the Spirit. At the very end of uh, the Bible, we read a passage in Revelation chapter 12. It said those who had survived all this 
Holocaust. They survived by the word of their testimony. It wasn't about them and what they could say. It was about the testimony concerning Christ, the word, the living word of God. That's powerful. We can't let it go. Now, I said almost finally, and here's the finally. When most people look at Ephesians chapter 6, they, they miss this. And I have for years. All this armor, all this stuff, makes me feel like I got something to do. I got to put on things. I got to know things. I got to do things. And then at the end of it all, what does Paul say? Well, let me read you what he says. After he told you about the armor, he says, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep praying for all of the Lord's people and pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Clothe the whole armor in a garment of prayer. Very often overlooked, but critically important. Because the other ones can seem like us. But when you pray, you admit your weakness. When you pray, you say, I can't do it without your strength. When you pray, in effect, you say, the battle is not ours, but it's God's. So you pray. So all the armor stuff, yeah, it was profoundly helpful to me this week as I studied it. But what kind of knocked me off my game was the prayer part. Why? Because as you might expect, when people are doing ministry all the time, constantly trying to figure out programs. In my case, I study a lot. I think the mind's important. I prepare a lot of time for Sunday morning. I do my best to organize, <clears throat> to make things work. We all do. But do I pray? 
Well, yeah, I pray. I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I pray. No. Do you pray? And that was the most convicting part of that for me this week. I just, I need to dedicate myself more to prayer. And I'm making a personal commitment to do that, the details of which remain private. But I've got to. I've got to. Because otherwise, I could feel like it was my breastplate, my righteousness, my ingenuity. And that would be so wrong. I need to pray. So I'm going to pray in a new way for us, for the church of Jesus Christ. And I ask humbly that you pray for me. Let's pray for one another. Let's put on the the full armor of God. The battle's not ours. It's God's. Let's pray. Lord, it's, um, it's serious stuff. This whole thing of what we often call spiritual warfare. It's a reminder that we just shouldn't dabble around the edges. And uh, just gravitate towards what suits us and makes us feel good, but we, we need to remember that there's a battle out there, and the battle is between forces of good and evil, darkness and light, and when we uh, claim to be on the side of the light, the forces of darkness get more intense. So, Lord, make us prepared and fully expectant that as we become more serious about prayer and our faith, that we'll face some opposition from Satan. Clever as he is, we probably won't even recognize it sometimes and we'll just be overwhelmed by it, but help us to get up every morning and, and put the armor on and then cover every day and every activity with prayer. These things we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.